Welcome to It's All About the Questions, where learning to ask the right questions can help you achieve lifelong success. Now, here to help you ask all the right questions is award-winning author, international speaker, and business strategist, Laura Stewart. Good morning, afternoon, and evening, everyone, and welcome, welcome, welcome to the show on a Monday versus a Tuesday because I wanted to have this incredible guest with me, and she wasn't available for like any Tuesday that we could figure out coming up for weeks, and I said, no, no, Anne, this is really important, especially heading into the holiday season, needed to have Anne on the show in this time period post-Thanksgiving because... She's this one person that I've met over the years that whenever I talk to her, whenever I read any of the books that she has written, it always helps me. It helps me shift my perspective, but more than that, it helps me maintain that perspective as well. And as those of you who listen to my show all the time know that this show is about helping you shift your perspectives keep that new perspective and gain even further new perspectives to help you achieve whatever your goals are, whether they're personal goals, business goals, or spiritual goals, whatever they may be. Because what we want to do, what I want to do is help you have the best life you could ever imagine and the best business you could ever imagine. And one of the ways I get to do that is by having Anne Grady over there on the other side of the screen, who just came out with her new book, Mind Over Moment. Actually, it's been out a little bit now. Um, Mind Over Moment, which is, you know, I always get screwed up on the camera thing. Harness the power of resilience and the accompanying journal. And I have to tell you, Anne, that I am so grateful you could be on the show. And that is a mind over moment thing. But more than that, I love what you did here. It's very different from your other books. I really felt that you sort of took everything you've learned about resiliency and put it in, you know, a place that just pick this up and keep it by your bed. (laughs) Or, you know, if you're, if you're so choose right here on your smartphone, right? Right. It's there. It's what everybody needs. So thank you. Well, thank you. I'm such a huge fan of yours and your show, and I'm thrilled to be here. Thanks for accommodating my crazy schedule. Well, you know, that's one of the beauties, Anne, about not being on broadcast anymore. I can. (laughs) I love it. Love it. You know, I couldn't went for five years when I was on broadcast radio. It was do or die. Here's my airtime. Either you choose to be on it or not. Or not. Yep. Although there was something, there is something to be said about consistency, right? Yes. Always this time of the week, I will do that. And you talk about habits in in your new book, which is available everywhere, everybody, Mind Over Moment. I struggle with that though, right? Because people talk about habits, doing things at the same time every week. How does that lead to resiliency? And do me a favor and just define what you mean by resilient. Okay, so let's start there. So resilience is, I view it as more than your ability to get back up after you've been knocked down. I think that resilience is your ability to use the adversity. It's to use the struggle, the challenge, the the crappy stuff, right? That inevitably life throws at all of us. It's to use that as a catalyst to help you get stronger, to learn, to grow, get tougher. 
Um, you know, simply by the fact that your listeners are either hearing this or watching this means that by their very nature, they're resilient. They've survived everything that has happened in their life to this point. And, you know, we're all still standing. So I think we're resilient by nature. But what I've learned along my own personal journey of resilience is that it's nothing more than a set of skills, habits, and behaviors that can be cultivated and practiced. And, you know, the average person experiences five to six traumas in a lifetime. So whether we like it or not, life gives us a chance to practice this ability to learn from adversity. Um, now, to answer the second part of that, your habit. So a habit is nothing more than something that you used to have to think about, but that has become automatic. And what many of us don't realize is that your thoughts are habits, your belief system is nothing more than a set of habits. It's a habitual way of thinking. And almost half of everything we do every single day is a habit. Our brain basically depends on these, their cognitive shortcuts so that your brain doesn't have to work as hard. So if you've ever driven home from a store and you realized you just passed your exit because you were deep in thought or you've you know had a conversation with somebody and don't remember what it was it's so easy for us to live our life on autopilot i once heard somebody call it um life's screensaver which i thought was a really great um a, a metaphor because it's one of those things where we, if we're not deliberate about the way that we live our life we end up reacting our way through it and it's so easy to look up and realize 10 years has gone by and you may or may not be any closer to where you want to be, but we're just caught up in this frenetic state of busyness. And I found myself just kind of reacting through life, especially with my, my son and, and my particular journey. And I wanted to find a way to make every single moment count. Now, does that mean I do it perfectly? Of course not. Resilience is a practice. Right. So when you talk about habits, the challenge with habits is that our brain doesn't know between the ones that are helping us and the ones that are hurting us. So your brain. Oh my God, I so get that one. <laughs> yeah. Like your brain can't tell the difference between binging on Netflix for four hours and eating a pint of Hagen Dazs or going for a jog and, you know, listening to something uplifting. Your brain just takes the path of least resistance. So it's not that you can't be resilient and still have bad habits. We all do. It's just starting to be more deliberate about cultivating the ones that are serving you so that at least when you choose not to, it's a choice. I've been reading another book by uh, Dr. Ben Lynch called Dirty Genes. Mm-hmm. And because, as you know, I've had a number of health issues that I'm still dealing with, with the ear, with the sound-induced vertigo. So um, it, it's been a, a trial for me. Talk about trauma. You know, doing this show, I can't do anything before it, and I can't do anything after it because my head just needs to calm down. Sometimes in the middle of the show, it the vertigo will just hit from the sound of my voice or your voice. So I started looking into these different ideas and he talks about the fact that you can't just willpower your way out of things, mm-hmm. that sometimes there is an imbalance somewhere and that your book really kind of reinforced some of those thoughts too, that we can't just habit our way out of it because sometimes the mental fortitude that that takes 
um, can almost like entrench the bad habit further Mm -hmm. because it just, well, if it's this difficult, why should I bother? So how do you, how do you respond to that, that idea, that concept? Well, I think the problem is that we try to change so many things at once that we end up changing nothing at all. So it's the reason only 1% of people stick with new year's resolutions, right? You know, on it's now nearing the end of one of the most difficult years in in my lifetime. Um, And people tend to go, you know what, I'm going to overhaul everything. I'm going to eat better. I'm going to exercise more. I'm going to be a better friend. I'm going to volunteer at a homeless shelter. I'm going to cook my own meals. I'm going to eat clean, no more fast food, no more, you know, like we, we set these unrealistic goals and the truth about habit change is it happens one of three ways, rarely, slowly, or never. It is very hard to change habituated behavior. So it's more than just habitualizing your way into the life that you want. It's starting to really evaluate the current habits you have. Are they serving you? It's not just about cultivating new habits. It's about stopping old ones. And the process is different for starting a habit and stopping a habit. Um, But it's more about being conscious of the choices that you're making so that you're not a victim to the habits that you already have, you're able to determine the ones that are serving you. So for example, you know, a a lot of our, I I break the book down into three parts, your mindset, your skill set, and your ability to reset. So your mindset is one of the things I talk about. It's literally the story that you tell yourself about the things you're experiencing. Martin Seligman calls it the, our explanatory style, you know, and so for the longest time when I would think about my situation with my son um, and to some extent, I still get caught up in this. He was just here for a visit for the holiday. And I used to catch myself going, it's just not fair. Why, why do my friends have healthy kids and, and mine isn't? Why do my friends get to have a holiday tradition and I don't? Why, 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 why? Now all of those thoughts are valid right? There's nothing untruthful about them. They're all valid. It it sucks. It is what it is. But is that thought pattern, is that story that I'm telling myself serving me? And so the goal is not to tell yourself an untrue story. I'm not going to go from, you know, having an autistic mentally ill kid sucks to, I wish I had 10 of these kids, right? Like your brain can't make that, can't close that chasm. But you can go from a negative version of a story to a realistic one, which is, is it what I would have chosen? No. Will I figure it out? Yes. Have I survived every day so far? Some I doubted, but I'm still here, right? So are my thoughts serving me? And the thought pattern of it's not fair. Why is everybody else's life easier? Why is my life so hard? There are legit normal thoughts for any of us to have. You just get to choose whether you listen to them. Most of us assume that our thoughts are facts and our emotions are facts. And they're nothing more than a data point. And you wouldn't believe everything you read online. So we can't believe everything we think because some of those thoughts are not helpful. I had this thought the other day after we had set the date up to finally have you on the show because obviously my brain starts percolating and prepping, you know, like, what do I want to ask her? And I was talking to some friends 
And they were talking about resiliency. So, of course, I said, you all need to read Anne's books. Go subscribe on her website at anngradygroup.com, anngrady.com. You know, go there, sign up because there's great stuff. But this thought popped in my mind, Anne. I realized that I was linking resiliency to productivity. Somehow in my brain, if I wasn't being productive, I wasn't being resilient. And that frightened me, frankly. It really, it really did frighten me because it started crumbling all these ideas that I had about how I've been since my mom passed three years ago, since six years, you know, and then I, I had mom move in, I had the divorce, I had all that other stuff. And I made certain choices to do certain things, to take care of my mom, stop working, do a lot of other things. And I haven't been able to get back to those same levels of productivity. And for those listening on the podcast, yes, I did the air quotes on the video part. Um, and those all sort of have interrelated. So I'm like, well, I'm not resilient. Why can't I feel good after I bounce back from something? Like, I don't feel like I'm bouncing back because to me, resiliency and bouncing back meant that I could take this entire kitchen that I'm working out of because I've had mold upstairs for months now trying to get it. I would just be fine and I could be, get 30 billion things done. Um, so I've been wanting to ask you that for a while then. I don't, I don't know how to fix that. I have an awareness now. And I'm sure that that's a lot of what my listeners are going through as well. And if you are, please, everybody, post on social media. Let Ann and I know what you're going through. And if we don't comment here, we will, you know, comment at, at some point on it. But I just feel like forget COVID. It doesn't really matter. This has been going on longer. I think COVID just accelerated undercurrents that were already there. And now we're kind of forced to deal with everything that's been going on. So long way around, help. <laughs> help. Well, I started writing the book before COVID, long before COVID. And I think you're right. It was a catalyst that really took a lot of the underlying challenges and just magnified them. You know, I think for so many of us, me included, um, productivity has been a measuring stick of success. You know, so whether you measure the success by how busy you are or how much money you make or what type of home you live in or how happy you feel you are, right? Like all of these measuring sticks are very subjective and resilience doesn't mean that you're productive all the time. Resilience means that regardless of the illness you're experiencing, the divorce, your mom, the mold, like regardless of all those things, you're still showing up. You're still waking up. You're still going on the air, helping other people. You might not be as productive as you were at some point, but busy doesn't always equal productive, right? Like busy equals exhausted. So it's redefining what productivity means. And part of resilience is understanding that you cannot be your best if you're exhausted and you're mentally not well. So a lot of people right now that, you know, I'm a big mental health advocate and almost half of all of Americans right now are experiencing some type of anxiety or depression. And 
you know, the goal is not to get rid of those things. The goal is it's counterintuitive. Most of us think that when we feel anxious or sad or overwhelmed, that we should not feel that way. And we typically think that if we're not happy, we're doing something wrong. Now, this has been a lifelong learning for me. I, I have struggled with clinical depression since I was 19. Um, and so it's easy to think, you know, well, life is supposed to be good. Life is supposed to be happy. But it's that expectation that creates our misery, right? The only time we are frustrated or disappointed is when our expectations and reality are out of alignment. So rather than be angry or upset that you don't feel productive and happy all of the time, one of the things that we try to do is we numb it. We try to run from it. Well, I've tried a million diets. Have you ever tried a diet? Oh, it's like constant and none of them worked. So let's say because it's like saying I'm going to go on a diet, but I'm not going to eat chocolate. I'm not going to eat pizza. I'm not going to eat Chinese food, right? All of the things I love. When you try not to think about something, you fixate on it. It's the way our brain works. If you say, don't think about pink elephants, that's what you think about, right? And so by thinking, don't feel sad, don't feel anxious, don't feel overwhelmed, you're basically inviting anxiety and overwhelm (laughs) and sadness to be what you fixate on. It's this unintentional side effect of of self-help. So instead of focusing on that, What we know about the human brain is that if you sit in that emotion, let yourself feel it. Nobody's supposed to be happy all the time. Like there's this happiness movement in Western culture. So like an $11 billion a year um, industry of happiness. And it's this Westernized created illusion that we are supposed to feel good all the time. And if you look back, you know, Buddha said life is suffering, right? There are these beautiful, wonderful moments in life. And I feel like in our constant state to search for happily ever after this elusive utopia that we're all trying to get to, we miss out on all of these wonderful, delicious, beautiful moments in between. And a collection of those is what makes a great life. So I would say productivity doesn't have to be the measure of success because I know a lot of productive people who are pretty darn miserable, right? It's not about, it's about, are you living your life in a way that is helping you become a better version of yourself tomorrow than you were today? And some days the answer will be no. Some days you will screw it up royally. We all do. It's giving yourself grace and the same kindness and compassion that you would give to a friend who's struggling to yourself because you cannot be empathetic and compassionate with other people when you're beating yourself up all the time. So it's it's not running from the discomfort. It's sitting in it. You don't have to marinate in it. I give myself a worry window. Every day I give myself a 30-minute worry window. And if something comes up during my day where I start ruminating or getting worried. That's part of the beauty of practicing mindfulness is that you're training your brain to direct its attention where you want it to go, which gives you the ability to increasingly control your focus. And so if I have this overwhelming, nagging sense of worry, it doesn't mean I ignore it. It means I put it in a box. I write down what I'm worried about. And during my worry window, that's when I focus on it. 
If it's a different time of the day, I reserve it for the next day's worry window. It's starting to become aware of the thoughts and behaviors that have become so second nature that we don't ever challenge them to start to challenge whether they're serving us or not. With your worry window, because that's a, that's a really interesting concept. Do you find that by the time you get to your worry window, that the items that you now are going to worry about have the same charge to them? It depends on the type of issue. So if it's, am I going to get a speaking engagement that I've really worked hard for and I'm worried that I might not get it? Well, that might not have the same level of intensity. Let's say my worry window is at 5 p.m. today and I'm worried about it now. Well, A, there's no there's no benefit for expending the energy worrying about it now. Would I love to have this speaking event? Absolutely. But the mental energy I need for the rest of my day trumps my need to worry about that right now. Okay. So by the time I get to my worry window later this afternoon, is it still going to be just as emotionally charged? Maybe not. And that's okay. Then in and of itself, it was a learning exercise. Now my one of the things currently on my heart and on my mind is my son. He was just here and I'm concerned about a variety of things. Is that going to be as charged at five o'clock? Absolutely. Um, it's heavy on my heart. It's something that is going to be with me for a while, but is it going to serve me right now while I'm talking to you? No. If I sat here and dwelled on it before our conversation, would that help me help other people? No. Is the problem still going to be there at five o'clock? Yup. So it's, am I, am I always successful at this? No. Like that's the thing most people don't understand is that resilience is a practice. Nobody gets it right all the time. And if they tell you they do, they're lying, right? Like the, the goal is not perfection. The goal is progress. Pure well, and simple. That, that whole goal is progress kind of feeds with my linking resiliency and productivity together. But so, that goes back to how you define progress. Right. Like if my goal is to find more peace, am I making progress toward that? That has nothing to do with productivity. Is it my goal of, of being kind? My, my goal of serving people and helping people those, that's not a productivity thing. That's I go out to the mailbox and somebody drops a piece of mail and I pick it up for them. Okay. And that person has a surge of positive emotions. I have a surge of positive emotions. Anyone who witnessed it has a surge of positive emotions. It has nothing to do with productivity or performance, but it's progress, right? Because it's not something that I did yesterday. So I, I think we have to change our definition of progress, our definition of success, our measuring stick of all of these things, because we're the most successful, well-educated, um, wealthy nation, and we are no happier for it. Like whatever we, we're less happy, right? So our measuring stick for success, productivity, happiness, performance, profitability, all of those things, if they're not working, why do we keep the same ruler? Okay, that leading to something in here. I just want to keep going along that conversation. Yeah. On page, that's so weird. 
I wrote page 133, but it's page 119. That's funny. I have no idea why. So there must be something on 133 I want to talk about too. Resilient people possess a clear sense of meaning and purpose that enables them to stay the course when things get tough. Mm-hmm. Discuss. <laughs> All right. So the analogy that I use, I swim in a pool. It's my self-care strategy. I went this morning and I really didn't want to. So for example, that's a definition of progress for me, right? I did not want to go. I was cold. It's cold here in Texas for like two days out of the year. And today was one of those days. And I really didn't want to go. Um, but I swim, that's my self-care. And so, um, when you swim in a pool, like when I went this morning, there was a line painted on the bottom of the pool so I could go straight. But if you've ever tried to swim in an ocean or a lake or other open water, you're taught don't, don't try to swim straight because you'll get carried away by the current or the tide or the undercurrent aim for an immovable object, like a buoy, like a lighthouse, something steady. And so For me, um, when I talk about having a clear sense of purpose and meaning, it's having a lighthouse. It's having something steady that you're aiming for. And that doesn't mean that you're not going to get swept away by a tide or by a current. It means that when you pick your head up and you're able to finally come up for air, right, that you have a clear picture of where you are going because most of us just drift and doggy paddle and try to stay above water. And we end up so tired. Whereas I'll give you me, for example, one of my missions, one of my, I feel like it's my purpose is to be a mental health advocate. Now, often the distance is my lighthouse of advocacy and support and education. And I had a conversation this morning because I'm noodling around this idea of starting a mental health podcast for parents. Which you should so do. Which I I do want to do. And it's something that I, I at some point will do. But it's just part of that lighthouse of mental health advocacy. Does it mean that I can do it today? No, I've got a bunch of other stuff that I'm I'm focused on right now. Does it mean that it's still there that I'm aiming toward it? Big picture? Absolutely. So I think having a clear sense of purpose, you know, all of us have a gift. For some people, it's the ability to relate and empathize. For other people, it's to inspire. For some people, it's um, to take a lot of disconnected ideas together and and make sense of it. Every single one of us has these unique gifts. And I, I think that sometimes we're so busy comparing what we think our gift should be or why we don't have the one we want that we forget that you can capitalize on the gifts you've got and incorporate that into a bigger sense of meaning and purpose for what you want your life to look like. If you don't have that yet, that's okay too, right? There's nothing wrong if you don't know what that lighthouse is. You can have little lighthouses. I look forward to date night, pizza night you know, snuggling with my dogs. So you can have little lighthouses, things that you're looking forward to. You can have bigger lighthouses, but it's always swimming in the right direction so that you don't get carried away by the current of life and look up and go, okay, well now I'm 75 years old or 80 years old and I'm still doing the same things I was doing and worried about when I was 25 or 30. Did I... You know, when I look back on my life, I, I I have been so busy personally trying to create a business and a career and everything else that someone said something to me the other day, or actually it was a few months ago. Um, he said, 
is your resume and your eulogy going to be the same thing? Wow. And that was like a real game changer for me because no, no one's going to stand over your grave going, oh, Laura knew how to interview guests. She asked all the hard questions, right? Like they're going to be talking about what legacy did you leave? Did you make people feel good? Did you, did you create something that helps other people? Those are the types of things they're going to ask. Not did you sit over your computer for 80 hours this week trying to get the audio just right? You know, and I think we lose sight of that. That's really powerful because I I did this life purpose kind of thing after my mom died. A friend of mine gifted it to me and spent uh, several days one-on-one with somebody working through it. And one of the things that you have to pick or come to is, you know, like, what do you really want to be remembered for? And what really came up deeply for me was what I wanted people to say is that she loved, was loved, and made a difference. And, you know, I do the show, I write, all the stuff I do hopefully lets people know that I deeply care, that someone cares about them, and that it makes a difference if I make a difference, Mm -hmm. you know? Whatever it may be, having you on, on my show, I mean, I pick my guests. So I'm so picky with my guests because these are people that I feel can help somebody shift. And I think resiliency for so many people, mental health, those things. I mean, when I think of you, Anne, I don't think about your business, right? I think about how you leave me feeling when I read your books, when we talk to each other, when I read something you've posted is the fact that okay, Laura, resiliency and productivity are not the same thing. Get over it. What's really important, what you just said to me, is progress of some sort. Well, but I think I want to take you back for a second because you just said something. You said, okay, Laura, resiliency and productivity are not the same thing. Instead of going, why can't I get this? What is wrong with me? Go, why Why am I tying the two? Why? Why, what is it about my habits or my belief system that makes me think that I have to be productive in order to add value or in order to be resilient? Most of us never challenge those thoughts. That's your mindset. It's that story, right? And so if you don't believe that, you're not going to change the thought. You have to start questioning, where does that come from? Why, why are you tying your... And, and I ask this not to be hypocritical because I struggle with the exact same conversation and I have it with myself all the time, which is why do you tie your self-worth to how much you get done in a day? Yeah. Like, where does that come from? And I, you know, for me, I was raised, my mom worked a lot and, and it was a sign of um, status. It was a sign of respect. It was a sign of wealth and money and all of those emotions tied up together. But if your goal is to make people feel loved and for you to be loved and to know that you're making a difference, does it really matter whether you work six hours a day or 14 hours a day in order to do that? And so we just never challenge these underlying belief systems that have become so habituated. I mean, it, 
it's, 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 it's the same as saying, okay, I'm right-handed. Well, I never just naturally pick up a pen to write with my left hand. I don't do that. That doesn't happen, right? Well, the same thing happens with our thoughts. They become so second nature that we just assume it's right. And if we're not taking time to, to challenge it and question it going, is that serving me? Is the fact that I believe my self-worth is tied to how productive I am? Is, is that helping me be a better version of myself? Is that helping me love people? Is that helping me be loved? Is that helping me make a difference? If it is, awesome. But if it's not, that's when we have to start going, okay, maybe there's something to that. And, you know, the whole basis for Mind Over Moment is mindfulness. And people kept telling me to practice mindfulness. And I got to tell you, as a high achievement oriented person, I swear to you, I imagined me sitting in a full lotus position, um. like, um, eating tofu, finding my Zen, seeing a beautiful mandala, mandola, whatever you call it. Like, that's just not appealing to me. And so when people told me to practice mindfulness, I just kept seeing that vision. Well, my Grammy always used to, and I say this in the book, my Grammy would always say, Annie, if enough people tell you you're tired, it's time you lay down. Like if enough people give you the same feedback, there's probably some truth to it. Yeah. She always used to say stuff like, if you act like an ass, don't be surprised if people try to ride you. Like my <laughs> Grammy was just awesome. But you know, the, the thing about mindfulness is it's just paying attention to your thoughts and emotions without getting carried away by them. It's just paying attention on purpose. When you're in the middle of a conversation, it's paying attention to how you're feeling and how those feelings are serving you. And so most of us are so busy ruminating about the past or, or worrying about what's going to happen in the future that we forget that right now in this moment, we are safe. Right now in this moment, the people who are watching or listening to you are able to watch and listen because they're not in immediate danger, right? right? And and the thing is, when we bring ourselves back to this moment, this is the time we get to take back that control. But you said something earlier too that I wanted to get back to, and you said, you know, it, people have been so exhausted lately, and it's because our brain views uncertainty as a threat. You know, our brain would actually rather have an outcome it doesn't like than one that it doesn't know. Your brain would rather hear there's not going to be a vaccine until 2022. This is the way it's going to be. Your brain would actually rather know that than go, I don't know. Are we going to have a vaccine? Will things ever go back to normal? Will we have to, you know, your brain wants an outcome. And because we have a negativity bias, this um, natural tendency to magnify the, the things that are wrong we default to worst case scenario. It, it's a protection mechanism that are, has served our ancestors well, because if you weren't focused on threats, then you ended up eaten by a saber-toothed tiger. But the threats today are different. The, the threats are getting an email first thing when I wake up in the morning and realizing I didn't meet a deadline or I forgot to email somebody back. The threats are no longer necessarily getting eaten by a tiger but they still activate the same response from your brain. And so it's exhausting always being on the lookout for what's going to happen next. And you take our political environment, our economic environment, True. our health environment, you know, and, and you pile on the impacts of family and friends and everything else. And it's like, we're living in this constant state of protection, which 
by in and of itself is exhausting. So if your productivity wasn't less than it used to be, I would wonder what's wrong with you. Like right now, I think a lot of people are experiencing that. Why can't I be as productive? And you might have some days where you're on fire, right? You might have some days or or hours within the day when you are like nailing it. Celebrate those. Don't go, see, why can't I be like this every day? Oh my God, that was a thought that went through my head this weekend. Right? It was yeah. my steroid day because I'm on off steroids. And the days that I'm on the steroids, it's like, why can't my brain be like this all the time? Yeah. And so we use all this energy instead of going, oh, I'm so enjoying this clarity of thought. I'm so enjoying this extra surge of energy. I'm just going to soak in this and get a lot done while I feel good and can. Instead, we waste all this energy going, what's wrong with me? Why don't I feel like this all the time? I wish I could just, you know, and we, so it's just this um, automatic conditioning of the way we think and behave that we have never in my, at least I haven't ever stopped to question, is this getting me closer to the lighthouse? And if it's not, what do I need to change? In your book, you there was a phrase, I don't remember what page it was on, um, since I obviously have written down wrong page numbers so far, which is, it's like, cool. It's like an exploration, you know? That's right. Choose your own adventure. You use the phrase, choose your perspective. And that to me was so beautiful because, you know, as I've said, the show is about helping people shift their perspective. But the idea that, I don't know why, you know, it just stuck at this moment. It's something I've always believed, but it stood out for me again, right? This idea that we choose our perspective or we can allow our perspective to be chosen for us by that automatic brain, by that, by outside factors, that we can choose it and we may have to choose it a thousand times a day, yeah, um, every day for the next year before, as, as a friend told me once, he, he talked about ruts. Um, it's a grave with no ends. You know, like here, you know, this is the rut on the road and you're trying to get your car up through it, but you can't because the tires are stuck in it. But mm-hmm. then what happens when you start filling in the rut with good thoughts and, and things like that, yeah. all of a sudden the rut becomes flat and you can just get out so easily, but it takes time to fill it. And sometimes you fill it, but then water comes and it gets all muddy. So it fills up again. So until you yeah. become that glad I had a piece of paper handy on my yeah, there you go. Do that. So this idea of choosing your perspective, can you talk to that and some steps, some things that people can begin to do to maybe think about, well, is this the perspective that is a good one? And I hate to use the words good or bad, right? So I'm just trying to figure out the way to do it. But I use, is it serving me? Okay. So some some thoughts on how people can choose a perspective that is serving who their purpose is, right? Versus serving the parts of them that just maybe are depressed or want to eat the Hagen Dazs. And there's nothing wrong with Hagen Dazs. We're not saying there is anybody out no, there. No, I mean, or whatever the vice, like the, what whatever is, the vice is. You know, the the when I say choose your perspective, one of One of the things the research about resilience in the brain tells us is that when we can make meaning of a difficult event, 
that we're more likely to become stronger as a result of it. And that builds our resilience muscle. And that's what resilience is. It's a muscle. It has to be tested and taken to its limits and stretched before it can grow. So I'll, I'll give you mine, for example, you know, when I think about my son, Evan, and I spent a lot of time going, why, why, why it's not fair, right? So how do I make meaning out of having a son that struggles so much? How do I make meaning out of this child that I had all these versions in my head of what his life would look like? And now it's very, very different. How do I make meaning of that? How do I choose that perspective? Because the truth of the matter is it's not fair. The truth of the matter is it does suck. The truth of the matter is it is hard, right? So I can get stuck in that perspective because all of those things are very real. Is it serving me? No. So what perspective do I choose? Well, I would have never used my voice for mental health advocacy like I do. I would have never donated a portion of all my book proceeds to the National Alliance on Mental Illness, specifically the Central Texas chapter. I would never have had the same level of empathy I have for other parents and other kids who are struggling. Like all of those things are the perspective that I choose. Do I still have pity parties and days where I fall back into an unproductive perspective? Of course, because we are human. That's where the giving yourself grace comes in. But the perspective of your life, if it's going to serve you, is how do you use that adversity? Like I'll, Another example, um, I had a tumor in my salivary gland that resulted in facial paralysis and a whole series of events, scratched cornea, radiation, a fall down the stairs, breaking my foot in four places, like the, a whole series of events. Do I wish that that had happened? No. While I was going through it, was my perspective feeling sorry for myself? Absolutely. Now that I am through that on the other side, what is my perspective? Well, I will never take a smile for granted again. I will never take my health for granted again. I will never let myself become so overtaken by negative emotions and stress without supplementing positive emotions on purpose to help offset some of that cortisol-induced change in our body. You know, those are the types of things. When I say choose your perspective, it doesn't mean that there's not another perspective alternative. It means that you pick the one that's going to serve you and you shift the story you tell yourself because we believe the story that we tell ourselves. Um, and it's really easy to play the victim. It's much, much harder to pick a, a perspective that forces us to move forward. And just because you choose it doesn't mean you'll choose it perfectly every single time. It's like there's no, you're either resilient or you're not. It doesn't work like that. It's a, it's a daily set of choices, practices, habits. Some days you choose better than others. The days you don't, you give yourself grace. And then you keep going. But we we tend to talk to our friends in these uplifting, supportive ways. I, you know, I had this situation happen last week where I, I lost um, I I lost something that was really special to me, and I don't know how I lost it. It just I lost it, right? And so I was talking with my girlfriend, and I was like, God, how can I be so stupid? Like, the, how hard is it to keep track of something that is meaningful like that? What is wrong with me? And she said, you know, that's so weird because last year when I lost my mother's earrings and I told you about it, you had a very different message for me. 
And I'm like, what are you talking about? She goes, don't you remember? You were so supportive. You were like, don't worry. We'll find them. It'll turn up. There's you're human. You made a mistake. Like this, this <laughs> stuff happens. It's going to be okay. Oh, right in your face. But when I did it, I was like, what is wrong with me? Why am I so stupid? Like we, it, it just knowing this stuff doesn't translate into doing it flawlessly. It, it's, it's choosing it's, it's work. This thing called life. It's work. Did you find what you lost? No, no, I didn't. I didn't. And I'm still hoping that I will. But every time in my head, I go, stupid, stupid, stupid. I go, you know what? You're human. Shit happens. Well, you, can, you can do what my mom and grandma always taught me to do when I've lost something. You light a white candle to St. Anthony. And you say, <laughs> I'm giving it to you. If I'm meant to find it, St. Anthony, please bring it to me. That Catholic upbringing in me. Every single freaking time. Every time it like shows up in 24 hours. Oh my gosh. Well, I'm Jewish, but I'll still do the same thing because I really want to find it. So I'm going to try that. (laughs) I've had Jewish friends do it too. And, you know, it's one of those rituals from, you know, have been passed down for whatever. And, you know, I was raised Catholic in an all Jewish neighborhood. Right. So I had the Hanukkah bush growing up. So a lot of my my holiday rituals, even words and different things are such a mesh of so many different religions that, you know, I don't think yeah. about it so much anymore. And when I started thinking about the whole St. Anthony trying to find something, and really I think what my grandmother and my mother were trying to get me to is sort of your worry time, right? Yeah. Which is Giving it it to the universe. They didn't use that word back then. But lighting that candle and being so present to that moment of, I have this thing that's missing. Please, somebody help me. It puts it out to that universal energy of, hopefully it'll show up. But like, it takes the worry off of, I've done what I can. That's why faith is such a huge, powerful resilience builder for so many. One, there's the sense of community. So, you know, our need for connection is greater now more than ever before. And we're told to stay socially distant. It's really physical distance that we want with social connection. And that's why uh, religion is such a, and spirituality is such a huge resilience builder for folks because one, it's got the community, but two, it's this belief that there's something bigger than you that I'm going to let go and let fill that word with whatever, let go, let God, let go and let the universe, let go and let St. Anthony. Right. But it's just, I, I need to relinquish that control. The second we do that, things start to fall into place. It's when we try to control everything. And this is from a self-professed control freak, but it's when we try to control everything that we start to feel this heavy weight instead of just letting it go and, and having faith, you know, and it, it sounds cliche, but your faith has to be stronger than your fear. That leads to 133. Why I wrote 133. <laughs> I now know why I had one. I just want to turn to the page and see I've got my book right there. Okay. You, you know, you talk about the faith and, and all that. You wrote on page 133, as I sit here typing, the tree outside of my office window is blowing in the wind. The bright green leaves are blowing back and forth and the branches are swaying with the strong wind gusts. Yet the tree stands firm. 
its roots deeply planted beneath the ground. You may sway with the wind. I love this part. You may sway with the wind, have your branches shaken, and even lose some leaves along the way, but your roots are strong. Take comfort knowing that you have survived the worst thing that has ever happened to you, and you will continue to survive because you are a fighter. When you wrote that, I mean, I have goosebumps every time I read that. To me, it, it's it's hope. It's like when I'm battling saying resiliency and productivity, when I'm battling these thoughts in my head, it's because I'm trying to control the wind versus just, oh, I'll go this way a little bit. But yeah. you know what? I'm going to come back up. Oh, maybe I'll go that way. But <laughs> if I try to force myself against what's happening, and this is not giving into it, but it's just sort of saying, well, for the moment, this is the way the current's going. But, you know, if I swim kind of this way subtly, like a riptide, I will get to my destination. Talk, talk about what you were thinking when you, when you wrote that. What led to that moment for you when you really saw that? Well, I'm looking at the window that I was writing about right now, and I'm looking at the tree that I was writing about right now. And what happened was I had gotten a call from Evan and he was uh, really angry about something. And he was um, saying a bunch of really mean, hurtful things. And I, and I was crying and we hung up the phone and I just stared out that window. And I thought, you know, this is one of those moments where I've lost a few leaves. I, my, my tree just got knocked around a little bit, but just like the tree that's sitting right outside that window, it's going to come back. And that we are, more than just our leaves. We're more than just the damage. We're more than just the adversity. Deep down, we are strong and nimble and resilient because we don't break. We just bend. And even if you feel completely broken, your core, the strength, the roots are still there. And so it's normal to feel battered. It's normal to feel overwhelmed. It's normal to feel all of these emotions that we think we're not supposed to have. And as soon as we let ourselves have permission to go, you know what? That's how I feel right now. It's not right. It's not wrong. I feel that way. Okay. There's some like major power in just sitting in that moment for a second and going, okay, this is where I'm supposed to be right this minute. It might not be ideal. It might not be what I want. It might not feel good, but it's going to pass and the roots are still going to be there. Right. So, I, you know, for me, it's like this constant state of we practice what we need to teach, you know, and, and I think, I mean, we practice what we need to learn. We teach what we need to hear. And so for me, when I experience something and it's a struggle and it's a challenge, I try to figure out how do I learn from it? And then what do I do going forward to help other people learn from it? Right. And, and that doesn't mean that anybody has it all figured out. You know, it's, it's one of those things where I was looking at Facebook and I, I was looking at my friend's Thanksgiving Day posts and all their families were together. And they're like, from our family to yours, happy Thanksgiving. And like all the kids are like super cute and they're all wearing matching outfits and Evan, who is now almost 18, was standing over the banister screaming at me, telling me all kinds of things I wasn't doing right and all kinds of things that were wrong. 
And so it's easy to go to Facebook and Instagram and look at your friend's perfect picture and go, what the hell is wrong with me? But what you didn't see is them having a fight next to the dishwasher because somebody dried out the turkey or didn't load the silverware correctly or someone broke a dish. Like we post our perfect moments and then think there's something wrong when we have the regular moments. And the truth is life is nothing more than a collection of moments. Some of those are good. Some of those are bad. If we take time to proactively search out the good ones and we celebrate them and we savor them and we sit in them, we literally change the neural structure and function of our brain. We make it easier to find those good moments. So whether it's sitting there realizing that the tree leaves are going to blow off, but the roots are still there, or whether it's knowing that today wasn't as productive as you wanted it to be, and that's okay because you get to try again tomorrow, All of these, it's just lessons in bringing yourself back to this moment because all of our misery comes from being somewhere else. You know, when you think about it, anytime you're unhappy, it's because you're not right in this moment. And if you're in this moment and you're unhappy, you got to just sit in it. And, And again, you don't have to marinate in it all day, but it's okay to give yourself some time and space to go, why do I feel anxious right now? What is it driving And that's why the practices in the book are so specific. So for example, I talk about um, breathing, diaphragmatic breathing is a way to re-regulate your nervous system. So if you're sitting here and you're starting to feel like your ears are spinning or your head is not good or or your vertigo is Mm -hmm. coming back, right? Three deep breaths reset your nervous system. So the book isn't just about like changing your thoughts and, and choosing your attitude. It's also specific strategies that you can use to regulate your nervous system to reset it and then to move forward and some sometimes that will work better than others because it's it's all part of this thing called being human yeah i had this visual as you were talking that i always want to be the giant oak or maple tree you know, the one that's been there for a hundred years that just has survived every storm, but that myself and many of my listeners sometimes are really that sapling that's just been planted. This one's a crepe myrtle. There you go, a crepe myrtle. (laughs) You know, or a willow tree or a pussy willow tree. We don't, you know, we have these ideas of who we want to be. Why can't we just accept who we are? Yeah. Well, and it's when you, the moment. when you do that, it's when you create the space to become what you're capable of being. Yeah. It's, it's when we're beating ourselves up over who and what we're not, that we're robbing ourselves of this particular moment. Like, I mean, the sun is out right behind you. I can see it through your window. How many days do we just forget that and just keep moving along until it's a gray, crappy day outside? And then we're like, oh, it's so disgusting out here. I wish it were sunny. But on a sunny day, we're not going, wow, I really appreciate the sun and the blue sky. It's it's like you don't have to wait for something to be wrong to appreciate what's right. And, and I think that's what we're guilty of doing a lot. And I'm glad it's finally sunny because it's been stormy and rainy. <laughs> See, look behind you. It's haven't, haven't seen the sun out in a while now, so it's really, really nice. So even though it's cold, go sit outside for a few minutes. So yeah, just, take yeah. a walk, right? Vitamin D. So Anne Grady's newest books, Mind Over Moment, and how can people get these and how can they find out more about you? 
So I just want to say the journal, I had never really planned on doing a journal. It's so much fun. (laughs) I love the illustrations. And a special education teacher in Texas attended one of my keynotes and she came up to me afterwards and she storyboarded my entire keynote on one page. She just made a whole page of notes and, and, and pictures and they were stunning and beautiful. And I loved them so much that I asked her to, to illustrate the journal for me. So if you get a chance, go through those activities because they really bring the book to life. But you can uh, learn more about them. You can get the books on Amazon. So if you go to Amazon and search Anne Grady, you'll find all of my books there. But you can also go to AnneGradyGroup.com and you can learn more about the books there, see some videos. There's interviews and articles and resources and other reading uh, recommendations and, and all kinds of other resilience building tools there for you. And if you are interested in a resilience self assessment and a copy of the self care sheet that I talk about in the book, you can text the word strength to two, two, four, five, four, the word two, four, five, four. So text uh, the word strength. You said to two, two, four, five, four. Okay, perfect. Make sure everybody got that and understood that. I love that. And they'll get um, a resiliency self-assessment and what else? They'll get a self-care sheet. They'll also get a poem that I wrote a couple of years ago that could not be more fitting than right now. I actually end the book with it. I I was going to read it, but I'm not going to now. So go for it. No, I love it. It's, it. I was trapped in the Philadelphia airport for seven hours when I wrote that poem. Okay, so you want me to read it? Sure. Okay, all right. It reminded me very much of Dr. Seuss. I had a Dr. Seuss <laughs> feeling with it. Because <laughs> my elementary poetry skills. No, there was just, you know, <laughs> it's, you can't read Dr. Seuss and not smile. You could be having the worst day in the world and you read Dr. Seuss out loud and you will smile. It's, uh, you it's the perfect mood shifter. So, all right. All right, everybody. I wasn't going to do this. I thought about it, but I'm going to do it anyway. So here you go. We're ending um, today's episode with the amazing Anne Grady, but I'm reading a poem, Strong Enough by Anne Grady. It's not super long, but it's powerful. When life knocks you down and you're feeling defeated, when you're tired, overwhelmed, and your courage depleted, when you question your strength to get through the day, and your rose-colored glasses are now colored gray. Remember, discomfort is the birthplace of growth. You can choose courage or you can choose comfort, but you cannot choose both. You have pulled through tough times to get where you are. The strength that you have is because of those scars. So look towards your lighthouse and find moments to savor. You are now tougher and smarter and stronger and braver. You have what it takes to survive times that are tough. You are courageous, you're resilient, and you are strong enough. I wish for you a lifetime of delicious moments. That were the last words from the book of Mind Over Moment. And I promise you, there is so much more that's amazing in here. And didn't that, having me read that poem, did that like not make you smile and feel good? And everybody out there that's listening to this live, Facebook Live, listening on podcasts, listening on one of the other platforms, I would love for you to let Anne know and me know, have we made a difference for you? What did you learn? If there's one nugget or if you need help, please, you're not alone out there. Thank you, Anne, for that poem, for your presence, for just you. 
Oh, Laura, you are a rock star. I'm so grateful to get to spend the time with you. This has been a truly delicious moment. Um, and I appreciate all of you who are listening and watching. And I wish you lots and lots of delicious moments. I love that. Love that. All right, everybody. Remember, the right questions can change your life. So what are you asking today? Have a great day, everyone. You've been listening to It's All About the Questions, starring Laura Stewart. Connect with Laura at itsallaboutthequestions.com and download a free workbook that will help you ask better questions starting today.